Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Our second scripture reading comes from Luke 9, verses 28 through 36. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Elizabeth. So what a trippy passage, right? Jesus takes three of his buddies up on a mountain, and they're so tired, but they somehow stay awake and then they see his face change and he's dazzling white and then through some weird space-time continuum he's suddenly talking jesus is with moses and elijah what is happening this is one of those passages where you have to kind of say like wow the bible super weird right (laughs) kind of strange stretches the imagination a little bit and you can be honest about that That's what's great about what God invites us. When God invites us to read the scriptures, I think, my personal opinion, God invites us to bring all of our what? That's crazy. That makes no sense. So I like to see it on layers of meaning. The first layer is literal, which is interesting, but by far the least interesting layer. So we're going to get into some of the metaphorical and non-literal meanings if you're down with it. You down with it, online people? Zoom meet, you up for it? I'm watching all of your comments here on my little uh, mobile device. All play questions. Uh, If you're on the Zoom chat, you can go ahead and use the chat, okay? And when I ask all play questions, I'll ask a couple today. 
They're designed to hear the voice of the chorus, especially if you're new around here, that may seem weird, but we really believe that we hear from God better when we hear in a chorus, not just one person speaking. Because I only know a very limited amount of things, but you know, together we know much more than I know. So the framing question, I think, for this weird passage that includes Jesus being dazzling white and revealing himself in some way, having a casual conversation with two people long since dead, the framing question is this, I think. How might we see Jesus and reality for what it really is? How might we see Jesus and reality for what it really is? Because there's a lot clouding who Jesus is these days, a lot clouding what reality is these days, right? A lot of people are claiming that Jesus is their mascot for whatever mission that they have. <laughs> How do we know if Jesus has signed up for that mission or if that's a falsehood? So two follow-up questions for us to sit with this week, this month. Number one, will I remain asleep or will I choose a life or I'm fully awake? Will I remain asleep? That's an option for us all. Or will I choose through various practices and relationships and experiences to more and more be fully awake? The second follow-up question is this. Will I insist on keeping God in the same container that I have built to hold God? Or will I consent to life's experiences and build bigger and bigger containers to see more and more of God. So here's my, my presupposition. You know when we say like, don't put God in a box? We all will put God in a box. We have to put God in a box because God is a sort of mystery. The question is not, will we put God in a box? The question is, will we allow that box to keep being broken and keep being expanded, right? That's the question. So don't worry too much about if you've put God in a box or not. You absolutely have. And that's what we're going to see a little bit in of what Peter does, okay? So how do we choose to become fully awake? Uh, verse 30, just repeating what Elizabeth just said, but uh, remember this is Jesus and James and Peter and John up on the mountain that is called the Mountain of Transfiguration later because of what happens. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to Jesus, and they appeared in glory and we're speaking of Jesus's departure, just having a casual chat about the fact that Jesus was going to die and, and be resurrected and go back up to be with Father. And they appeared in glory, and we're speaking of departure, and when he was about to accomplish at, at Jerusalem. And now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. That's where we get the being awake metaphor. So how do you do that, right? Well, first of all, uh, Greek nerd time. Dan, I know you're into this, and Allie's out in the sanctuary, out in the north, but she would be into this. So uh, the word for it to be fully awake is diagregorio, diagregorio. And it, it literally means to rouse yourself from slumber and be in a different state of mind to rouse yourself from slumber and be in a state of mind. And the word glory is doxa. It means glory, weight, but it also means the true estimation of someone. To be so fully awake 
that when you see someone, when you see their doxa, their glory, which everyone has, you're seeing the true estimation of who they really are. So how do you get to that point? So awake that you can see the true estimation of who someone really is, that divine spark that they carry, rather than your binary brain just wants to categorize them as safe or dangerous, right or wrong, good or bad. To be fully awake is to transcend that binary mind, which is always categorizing and judging. So you can see someone, the true estimation of who they are. So they saw Elijah and Moses and Jesus. But it says that even though they were weighed down with sleep, they remained awake. And so they saw something. And I don't know what it was that they actually saw. The writers write it down in some beautiful, imaginative way. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah. They saw Jesus. They saw something. They saw something of reality that most of us can't see or don't see. So this passage is really less about, was it really Elijah and Moses up there with Jesus? It's how do we see in greater and deeper ways each other and ourselves and what's happening in the kingdom of Jesus. So how do we learn to see Jesus and everyone else and their doxa as they truly are, their estimation of who they are? Well, remember um, back in Charleston, West Virginia, about five years ago, and there was this big march and white supremacists came and it was this big thing and it was kind of one of the moments in our last of many moments where the fabric of our life together as americans seemed to crack a little bit or be exposed the cracks were exposed a little bit more when people said things that before you would never say in public these white supremacists and i remember getting on facebook and just (laughs) reacting which I tend to do from time to time, and maybe you do too. And then this old acquaintance fired back, kind of clapped back at me and said, yeah, but what about this and what about that and what about that? And you know that feeling you get when you are right? (laughs) And they are wrong. So we went back and forth a few times. And then one of our mutual friends said, And I hate when this happens, hate, said, hey, this sounds like a conversation that would be better in person rather than online. And I literally, Pastor Steve, closed my laptop, (laughs) not interested. But then like a few hours later, I was like, oof, oof. Pulled it back open, invited the two guys out to lunch. The one guy who initiated everything said, I can't make it. So now it's just me and this other guy that clap back at me. We met, you know, at one of these big restaurants where you can get a big, like, 64-ounce beer and, like, waffle fries and stuff. So we sat down, and, I mean, I'm trying my best um but in the back of my mind i'm like i just want to get out of here alive that's that that was my goal for the day you ever had those kind of big goals when you are meeting with someone that you don't agree with just want to get out alive 
then you know what happened? I heard his story. And his story wasn't about what we were talking about online. His story was about pain that he was going through. I didn't know, but he was going through this really tough time in his marriage. And he brought up the stuff that's really tough, his family of origin. And he was just hanging on. And so we were able to see each other. And I think we were both able to see the doxa, the true estimation of who we were, much bigger than political ideologies. We saw each other's humanity. And that, I didn't want to go out to lunch and waste my time with someone who didn't agree with me on a very important thing when I was clearly right. <laughs> but man, what happened when I was willing and he was willing to meet each other and hear each other was so good. If you want to be fully awake and see the estimation, the true estimation of who people really are, you have to be willing to get face to face and hear each other and listen to each other. You have to delay judgment until you know more. So the next time you read something on Facebook and you wanna just, and by the way, I'm totally dating myself with Facebook, like my kids and anyone younger than a certain age, <laughs> Facebook. But the next time someone says something and you wanna clap back, just stop. If you wanna be awake, stop and ask these questions. What can't I be? What don't I know? What can't I see? What don't I know? And what do I need to do so I can know and see more? What can't I see? What don't I know? And what do I need to do so I can know and see more? Just pausing to ask those questions will really help you Stop the judgment, stop the binary thinking, good or bad, false or, and allow you to go, oh, 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 there's something more happening here. Most of the time, it's not about what you think it's about. We all know that's true. When someone fires back at you or has a big response to you, it's almost never about what you just said or what you think you, you just said. Because we all have a lot going on, right? First of all, take a question. Okay, ready? Everybody breath, deep breath in. Let it out. Because some of you are all like, I know what that guy just said was good, but I ain't never doing that. I don't have the energy for that. Here's the all play question. What helps you to stay awake so that you can see and know more? What helps you? And online folks, you can use the chat. I'll read it out on the Zoom. You can just use that chat. The question is, what helps you to stay awake so that you can see and know more? Go ahead, Jim, just shout it out. <laughs> the result of what I don't see and what I don't know. You see what that does in yourself and in people, right? Yeah, thanks, Jim, that's so good. What else? And all answers are good answers. They'll all help us to just get further, okay? So don't worry about a bad answer. 
What helps you? Ironically, I think rest. Yes, Rebecca. Okay, Rebecca just said something. Yes, so important. Rest. When you're not rested, when you're just plowing ahead and digging deep and, you know, sacrificing yourself for the good of everyone, but you're no good to anyone, you tend to not be able to see anything or know anything. So thank you, Rebecca. That's so true. Rest. What else? Curiosity. Thanks, Brian. Okay, what else back there? Asking questions, JC said, and setting your ego aside. Um, okay, I'm going to catch up online here, okay, you guys, because there's a bunch. Um, <laughs> remember, everybody is dealing with something. So good. That's from TJ from Milwaukee. By the way, welcome Milwaukee people. Our, our sweet little quirky church has folks from Milwaukee. I love it. Remembering that everybody's dealing with something. And then Holly remembering that God loves everyone, so we should all put in a little effort to also love them. <laughs> Boom, mic drop, a little effort. Uh, Regan Granger, following people of color on social media and hearing their daily experience is very eye-opening for me, 100%. From Kristen Powell, staying curious, reminding ourselves we see in part and know in part, others have other parts. Yes. What else? Anything else? Yeah. Thanks, John. We're all on a journey, and I wasn't always where I'm at right now. Either I had a long way to go. So if we want to see people for who they really are, if we want to see more of reality, we have to do things like we were just talking about, to stay awake. We have to stay curious. We have to be curious about what we don't know, what we can't see, what we need to do to see more. And I want to just say, like, whenever we talk about stuff like this, it's really normal and natural that this is going to trigger some pain because people haven't done that for you, maybe. Or you realize that what it would require of me to do that feels really, really difficult. So I just want to name that. Like, this is not just theoretical. I'm like, oh, yes, staying awake is awesome. It's really difficult, and it's okay to go at a snail's pace and sometimes stop and to rest and to say, I don't have the energy for that right now. Can we all be on the same page about that, please? Okay. So then secondly, um, we need to build bigger containers for God if we want to see as we could see. Verse 33, back in our story about the Moses and Elijah and Jesus and the dazzling white and all that stuff. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, they meaning, um, so apparently there was a point where <laughs> Moses and Elijah like got on a donkey and left or maybe flashed out of there. Like, Anyway, I don't know how, but just as they were leaving P Jesus, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings or three tabernacles, three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said, which is the biblical way of saying he just said something dumb, okay? <laughs> 
While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud, a voice came that said, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. Smart, because it wasn't very believable, right? But here's an all-play question. When it says that Moses was there and Elijah was there, let's think less literal, more metaphorical. In the story of God with God's people, what does Moses represent? What does Elijah represent? In the story of God's people, in the history of God's people, what does Moses represent and what does Elijah represent? Okay, Brian, the law and the prophets. Someone else said the Torah. Yes, we don't need to go any farther than that. So whether or not there was an actual Moses or an actual Elijah there, maybe there was, and that would be so cool, but maybe there wasn't. There's this moment where we realize that two big ways that God helped God's people see God are present here with Jesus, the law and the prophets. So... um, They were necessary. The law was necessary and helpful for the children of Israel to see God and to know each other and to be a community together. And so were the prophets when uh, the the Israelites wandered from God and their prophets came to call them back. That was helpful and necessary to see who God is and what God does. And both of those things... uh, the helpfulness of them ran out. They were both containers that helped us see God, and they both ran out of their effectiveness. What do I mean? Well, by the time of Jesus, something new was needed in order to see God, in order to see the essence of who God really was. The law and the prophets were no longer helpful or as helpful as they could be. Maybe they were necessary, but not sufficient. And Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them or take them away. I've come to fulfill them. So here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is including the law and the prophets as ways in which we see God and saw God, but he's transcending them and saying, I am the new way that you will see God. He's including and transcending them. He's allowing people to see more of God and see more of who God is. So let me, I know that's very, almost metaphysical, so let's, let's talk about it. So have you ever met one of those people that like used to be uh, like a, a conservative fundamentalist, you know, and they used to say things and do things, and then they had a radical change experience, and then they became a progressive fundamentalist. (laughs) You ever met this person? They sound exactly the same, except they have different words now. They're still fueled by who they're against. They're still obnoxious to be around. They just switch teams. They're playing playing the same game. We, We all have met people like that, right? God forbid if that was one of us in this room right now. I mean, that would be a real awkward thing to admit. (laughs) but so that's not including and transcending that's just 
playing the same game on a different team, including transcending, is learning how to take your container and let it be smashed and build a new one so that it can be bigger and more expansive. Our belief systems are containers for seeing and understanding God. As I said before, you have to have a container and it's gonna be limited. The question is not, have you put God in a box? It's, will you allow that box to get expanded and broken and rebuilt? So you're gonna to need to find new containers to keep going so you can see more and more of God. As you keep growing, you have to keep going. What you used to think and believe is just not gonna be enough to hold the experiences that you now have. And that's just true. Richard Rohr says this, God is mystery, and I've said this so many times, but I'll repeat it again. God is mystery, but that doesn't mean that God is unknowable. It means that God is endlessly knowable. It doesn't mean God is unknowable. It means God is endlessly knowable. So the question is, in addition to how can you wake up so you can see what you can't see and know what you don't know, is can you be willing to allow your containers to be broken and rebuilt? And that's uncomfortable. So typically, only great love or great suffering will give you the courage to do that work. We fight against breaking those containers, don't we? <laughs> Come on, we don't like change. We don't like to be wrong. So this expansiveness isn't always like, oh yeah, that's so great. It's sometimes deeply painful and hard. Someone asked me recently about like, can you, on email, can you explain to me as succinctly as you can <laughs> which is not a great strength of mine, as succinctly as you can, like how you see how you've changed over the course of time, like how you've changed your belief systems. Can you, can you explain that to me? Because that's, you know, <laughs> I'm like, succinctly. Huh. Okay. And then, of course, like my Enneagram 3 said, man, that'd be a good book. I should write a book about that. But then I went back to my email. By the way, just welcome to my mind, okay? Welcome to my mind. How can I get more famous? Oh. Huh. Oh. What don't I know? What can't I see? <laughs> okay, here we go. So here, here's how I responded. I want to share with you. It is succinct, relatively. <clears throat> I tend to see faith formation less as a static affirmation of a set of beliefs and doctrines and more as a dynamic evolution through stages of faith as you experience significant love and loss as you have courageous conversations with people who are different than you and as you allow yourself to explore your honest questions about god without demanding familiar answers as I have tried to follow Jesus into a changing world, courageous conversations and life experiences have led me to change my mind on significant issues. And I expect I'll keep growing and changing as I keep having courageous conversations. And then I wrote this down because this was important. Transcend and include. While I appreciate my upbringing and early ministry experience in the evangelical church, for a variety of reason, reasons, I no longer consider myself an evangelical Christian. 
That was important to say. I don't think it's bad or awful or terrible. I don't need to fight against it or demean it or revile it or say anything other than I am grateful for my background, grateful for the gifts it's given me, grateful for the many gifts I received from that group. And because I'm a human being that grows and changes and evolves and gets to be honest, I've just transcended that. I've included it, but I've transcended that. That container became, for me, just too small. So that's my answer about how I've changed and why, how I see the process of growth and evolution, of faith formation. It's stages as you experience things in life that you can't explain, as you wrestle with your honest questions with God. I think it's really, really fair to allow yourself to keep expanding and growing. Because only you know how to be you, right? Oh, Allie, I wish you saw that throwback right there. She would be so pleased. So let's stay awake. Let's have the courage to have bigger conversations and create bigger containers, knowing that soon those containers will need to be broken so we can stay humble about that so that we can see reality for more of what it is. We see ourselves for more of who we are and we can see others for more of who they are. I mean, that really might change the atmosphere of relationships in the world, I think, if just a few people chose to do that. And I want to say we need that change right now. Some of us need to be expanding and holding much more grace with people who differ than us. Amen? All right. Time and time again throughout the age. Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.